You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. He's got it! Oh, baby! Every week, Travis Kura. That's Grey Cup me, which is a different person. And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football, bring you the latest in CFL news, and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense. Oh, nearly intercepted it is! And it's over! Ready, set, hunt! Hey, thanks for clicking play on this episode of the 2 and Out CFL podcast. It is our West Division preview. We'll be talking to Matt Baker of the BC Lions, Ryan Ballantyne of the Go Stamps Go podcast, Andrew from the Turf District, Safamod from the Piffles podcast, and uh, Ryan Cooper from the Canadian Football Countdown. It is a busy show. Now, you'll notice that Ty is not a part of every episode here. Um, but that's what happens when you get unexpected visits from your mother. I don't know about you. If I hear the doorbell w- ringing, toilet brushes out, I'm doing a 40-second clean, uh, and usually I have to get dressed uh, <laughs> before I answer So, so you, are, you are just like your father. Yeah. <laughs> that's the biggest annoyance I have with uh, door knockers, like – I don't know if it's the Boy Scouts selling popcorn or whoever coming to the door. Like I have to, I have to get dressed. Really? Well, I guess I don't have to. Just but. open the door. <laughs> but uh, hey, she showed up, and uh, we did. We were robbed of a cameo with uh, Brazilian Ty's mom previewing some of these teams. Well, she showed up just before you started. Like before the set times, the times we had yeah, set yeah, out. So yeah. I was like, well, I'm not going to kick her out. <laughs> and she needed a phone charger. And oh my God. I'm like, I'm just trying to make jerky here. <laughs> like, the real question how was the jerky? Uh, it's phenomenal. I do have the last batch on the smoker right now. So we're just waiting. I got another two and a half hours. Wow. And Sprinkle some cayenne pepper on it and go to town. The last batch is like maple syrup, brown sugar, and Coca-Cola. Marinated in it for like 30 hours. Whoa. So I'm going to do like a sweet and hot. I got to be honest. You don't strike me as a guy that can handle much spice. That's all I want is spice. Oh. I guess it's like, like get ha- older. Like habanero, love the heat, hate the taste. So oh. Like, it's kind of weird. I love the habanero's got that little bit of a I don't know little fruitiness in it. Yeah, and, I, and you know how I am with fruit. I can't handle the heat, <laughs> but I still yeah. eat it because I'm an idiot. Like, I'll eat suicide <laughs> wings at Canadian Brew House as long as I know that either I'm home the next day <laughs> or along the pipeline. I know where all the outhouses are. And I'm good. <laughs> a lot of planning goes into. Yeah, oh yeah. I don't just do it while willy nilly. <laughs> Make sure I got at least an extra pair of socks in the truck. Well, it's our West Division preview. We got five teams to talk about, so let's get underway. And uh, joining the show now from the Canada Football Countdown podcast, it is Ryan Cooper. Hey, thanks for coming on the show, Ryan. Hey, happy to be here, Travis. Thanks for having me. Always happy to talk to some CFL football. 
Yeah, and we're bringing you on to talk the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And I got to be honest, it seems like over the past couple of years, they're becoming kind of the boring team to talk about. <laughs> it's yeah. A, it's like not many changes, and I realize there was a Grey Cup loss, but I think maybe the minimal changes are the reason they've been uh, the most successful franchise in the CFL over the past couple of years. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think that was a big thing as well with the uh, pandemic loss season also. You know, the two teams coming out of that that didn't really have a whole lot of roster overhaul were the Bombers and the Ticats, if I remember correctly, who went back yeah. to the Grey Cup the year after. And and that's something they've been able to hold on to is just the same core, you know, a couple pieces in and out, but by and large the same core for the past couple of years and been able to run it back, much like the Calgary Stampeders did for many years in a row. 15 and 3 in 2022. It was a dominant record, but a lot of the games, they, uh, they were exciting finishes. They weren't exactly dominant wins, but I think that's what makes the Bombers the Bombers. They're able to win those close games. Are we going to see as dominant of a record in 2023, or are the cracks starting to show in the Great Blue Bombers? Well, the cracks started to show in the stadium the day after it was built. But uh, in terms of the team itself, uh, yeah, I think I called it last year the sloppiest 15-3 and football team I've ever seen because, yeah, the record showed for it. But there were a lot of games where they, they pulled the rabbit out of their hat at the very last minute. And, and I don't think they're quite going to be at that same pace again this year. I do still have them as a strong team. I do have them leading you know, the West division uh, again this year with a pretty good record there. But the the question mark is always, when is it going to come crashing down, right? When is age going to catch up to them? Is there a bit of an older team? And, you know, they've gotten pretty lucky with injuries the last couple of years, whereas other teams haven't. So, you know, one key injury could change things at any point. So I think they'll be, you know, able to produce, you know, somewhere in the 11 to 12 wins again this season. But I don't know if they're hitting that 15 and three pace. Was there a big or a position group on the team where we're going to see the most changes coming in to the year? Yeah, they don't have too many changes overall. Uh, you know, defensive back, they have a couple of pieces rotating in and out. Nick Taylor is no longer here. Noah Hallett uh, let go. You know, Malcolm Thompson played some games last season as well. Terrell Ford, their draft pick last year, went off to the NFL mm. uh, before really getting too much involvement here in Winnipeg. So, I think that's a position with Winnipeg we often see rotated each year. There's usually a couple defensive backs that go elsewhere, and then a couple new guys come in and generally play pretty well. So uh, I think that's the kind of one of the biggest spots I look at, the, the changing of the guard there. You have a couple pieces here and there, you know, big pieces they lost would be Casey Sales on the defensive line, Michael Couture on the offensive line, uh, Greg Ellingson at wide receiver. You know, they got a huge downgrade at that position to Kenny Waller, but <laughs> I was like, what, what am I missing? <laughs> no. Yeah. If you would have told me that, uh, Greg Ellingson, uh, out on the, uh, wide receiver core gets replaced by Kenny Waller, who's, you know, arguably even better at his, this point in the career. Uh, I would have not seen that coming this offseason. <laughs> well, and that's the thing with the offense, I think the Andrew Harris era of the Bombers, we got used to them a pretty even split between run and pass, just bruising teams and wearing them down. But last year, 
I think maybe they got forced into more passing situations. We know Zach Kolaros is a magician back there, and sometimes second and long, they are never out of a drive, a game, or anything like that. Now, (laughs) Dalton Schoen comes in as the guy that kind of burst onto the scene when Kenny Lawler was in Edmonton. Now they're teammates. So it does feel like this could be a pretty high-flying offense again for the Bombers. Yeah, they've got all the players there. I mean, you look at the list of wide receivers as a starting point. You mentioned Dalton Schoen. You mentioned Kenny Lawler. You've still got Nick Dembski. Somehow Rashid Bailey decided to come back and probably be the number four option. People thought he was gone, I thought. I I think he could have gone somewhere else and maybe slotted in as a number two, number three type of guy. But he took a pay cut. He wanted to stick in Winnipeg. He liked what he, uh, at least so I'm told, salaries aren't public. But, uh, you know, they they, he took a pay cut because he wanted to stay here in Winnipeg. And he's a part of that offense. And you've got, you know, Drew Wallatarski, Brendan O'Leary-Orange, Carlton Agadosi, Janarian Grant. I could go on and on and take my entire time slot to list Winnipeg Blue Bomber (laughs) wide receivers here. And I don't know where they're all going to fit in on the roster. Right? And half of these guys are not even going to get on the field unless uh, unless injuries happen. So they've got the guys in place as their starters. They've got the depth there. Uh, I I like Brady Oliveira leading the way at running back uh, on offense there as well. A thousand yard season from last year, and that was really mostly the second half of the year. Uh, for him, the first ten, six, seven games was pretty quiet. And a lot of people thought Johnny Augustine should have taken over as a starter at that point. But Oliveira hit a different switch in the second half of the season there. So, uh, yeah, all the skill players on offense, I think, are, are, are pretty sound this year. I do have some concerns of the, over the aging offensive line for mm-hmm. Winnipeg, though, which, you know, then that throws a lot of the stuff into the balance. Uh, you've got quite a few guys there that are, you know, mid-late 30s. Uh, but... You also have some younger pieces and Jeff Gray and Liam Dobson that are going to be filling in new roles there also. And that's been the hallmark of the team. Uh, Stanley Bryant and Jamarcus Hardrick building out from there a little bit. But uh, they they seem to have some guys, had some guys waiting in the wings. Like uh, Chris Kolonkowski comes in in a relief role, I guess we'll say last year, and fit in like he had been there for years. I mean... The guy is 31 years old. He looks like he's uh, about 39. The long hair, the beard, he looks like a, you know, a leathered or a weathered offensive lineman, but uh, really kind of new to the starting lineup for the Bombers last year, and he looked great. Yeah, he he filled in um, after Michael Couture went down due to injury and and looked pretty solid and know just kind of handed uh an easy offseason option to the bombers on a silver platter of couture was probably going to demand you know uh quite a bit of money potentially there to bring him back for another year you have to think maybe you get a bit of a discount with kolonkowski and that allows you perhaps bring in a guy like kenny lawler uh and other additions so yeah huge huge piece for them to to be able to get a guy to quickly sub in the lineup there now, I feel like kicking has been a thing in Winnipeg oh, no. ever, since, <laughs> ever since Justin Medlock left, really. Um, now, we're recording this before the final preseason game, and Sergio Castillo is, is back with Winnipeg. Five field yeah. goals in the 2021 Grey Cup, but there were a couple field goal uh incidents in 2022 including the championship 
But then Legio, I mean, I, I remember Labor Day, a 55-yarder. So he does have the talent and he does have the leg uh, to get it done. Is is that something Bomber fans are watching going into the year? Yeah, the kicking position is the focal point of everybody's interest. I think at one point they brought seven to ten kickers into camp oh, or wow. something like that. Uh, or so I heard, you know, mix of kickers and punters for different roles originally. That was before Sergio Castillo became available and they snapped him up within seven minutes of him being yeah. released or whatever <laughs> it was. Uh, you know, they... They, I think Mike O'Shea, if it was fully his decision, he, he's a loyal guy. He backs his players. You know, he want. I, I could see him wanting to give Legio another chance at, at the kicking duties. But you have to think some of the outside pressure. You know, it's everything the fans are talking about as well. Maybe played a role into okay. Let's see some other options. Get some competition in there. I don't think Legio had a bad season. Yeah, he was only at eighty-two percent kicking. I think I was second worst in the league there. Uh, last season, but it was a tremendous improvement over the year before, and I have to wonder what another year of, of kicking duties would bring for him this year, but you have to think if they're bringing Castillo in that it likely is for him to handle the kicking duties. They trusted him. To, you know, He should have been the MVP in the 2021 20, Grey Cup, I would argue. Uh, I still think he was robbed of that award there, but <laughs> uh, I would have to imagine he's going to handle the main kicking duties this year. But maybe Legio, you know, it's Canadian, he can handle the punting duties there. I thought he was a better punter than he was a place kicker last season. He had some good coffin corner punts there. So maybe giving him the opportunity to just focus on that role, uh, you know, get a good one-two punch between the two. Now, we did mention Nick Dembski and the receivers a little bit last year. It was a career year for him. Uh, 772 yards. 10 touchdowns, and the majority of that was sort of in the back half of the season. He was he was injured for a, a portion of the year. This feels like this could be the year where <laughs> teams are going to have to pay attention to Dembski, obviously, but with Lawler and Schoen there, that, if that's a 1-2-3, you're as happy as anybody else in the CFL. Can we see a thousand yards for Dembski? I think so. I think Dembski, the sky is the limit. I mean, especially if you want to go ahead and add in his rushing yards to it as well. I mean, how many receivers put up 150 oh, rushing yeah. yards in a season? Uh, the Bombers are at their best when Dembski is heavily involved, whether it's, you know, a quick dump pass and let him make a move, or it's fine, whether it's finding him over the top, over the middle, or just handing it off to him in the backfield. I mean, he does everything in that offense. He's got the nose for the end zone, like you mentioned there with the touchdown. So, you know, if, if you got to keep tabs on all these other guys, there's going to be some space for Dembski to, to get the ball there. And it's, it's hard to gauge with, with these talented receivers, you know, how many of them are going to have those thousand yard seasons somebody's going to end up with what we consider sadly a disappointing year, I think, yeah. because, you know, there's just only so much to go around. Claros doesn't pass for a lot of game either. He's very few games over 300 yards. So I, I think Dembski has the capability to hit a thousand yards. I'm just not sure with the, the workload in this offense, I could see him falling a little bit short there. Now, are there going to be some names that maybe 
the rest of the league isn't too familiar with that we could see uh, make themselves known in 2023. I know they're a very veteran-heavy roster, uh, and maybe there isn't always the biggest opportunity for a, a new face to come in. But, hey, it could be a DB. It could be somebody. Uh, what do you think on that front? Yeah, I, I, my first attention goes to the defensive line. I mean, yeah, you've got Willie Jefferson. You've got Jackson Jeffcoat. Those are two of the best in the business when they're healthy. They're also getting up there in age, and Jackson Jeffcoat, uh, you know, last season only played 12 games. So you're going to have to have different guys starting to rotate in there. Uh, they've got some young pieces, you know, Anthony Bennett, they just drafted in the draft this year. I think he was their first round pick on the defensive line. Maybe we start seeing him get a little more involved there. Uh, with Casey sales going off to Hamilton, Ricky Walker, I think slotted in as the guy who's going to get a shot on that D line there. Uh, offensive side of the ball. It's hard to see any new names that are going to necessarily stand up just because of all the pieces we have in there. I mean, if guys do go down due to injury, Brendan O'Leary Orange had a good year filling in last year. Carlton Agadosi had a monstrous first game with two touchdowns yeah. and 70 yards and then got injured and missed the rest of the season. So, um, yeah, and, you know, this team more than most, there's not going to be too many fresh faces and new names we see making an impact. Uh, but there will probably be guys rotating in that uh, will at least learn their names of. A little bit here and there. I think for the defense, getting to the quarterback like they did in 2021 and before is probably a key to the year for the Bombers. You are big into CFL fantasy. Is there going to be a Bomber that you're going to try to get into your lineup every week? Oh, every week for me with the Bombers. (laughs) It might get expensive. It's going to get expensive real quick. Yeah, can we start with last year's salaries with Dalton Schoen starting at 2500 No kidding. No kidding. <laughs> no, I think I, I think it's going to be hard to gauge early in the season, and, I, and that's generally my problem with a lot of these teams that have you know good depth oh, is who's yeah. going to get the ball because you know based on names alone, if we're talking fantasy pricing, these guys are going to be up there in price, probably not going to be worth the money unless they're they're full in the price there. So. Uh, I like Oliveira's potential at running back uh, as I think a guy that could get some heavy usage this year. Uh, but probably early in the season, unless the pricing's really good, I think there's other teams where I could pinpoint maybe uh, a better dominant force that's going to take most of the team's load and not spread the ball around. Well, Ryan, thanks for coming on to and out to talk Winnipeg Blue Bombers for 2023. Where can we find you now? Yeah, if you want to hear more of what I have to say, uh, first of all, wow. Uh, <laughs> Uh, second of all, I haven't, if I haven't turned you away yet, uh, you can check out the Canadian football countdown, on all your favorite podcast platforms over on YouTube as well. Uh, we live stream our shows every week. We're doing a show every Wednesday night, uh, pretty late at night. Cause you know, dad duty. Um, so I've got other things <laughs> that, uh, make it late at night, but you can find it. Uh, just search the Canadian count football countdown anywhere. Uh, also on social media at CF countdown pod. And if you want to follow Follow me individually. It's at Cooper Trooper 42 on Twitter. I don't really tweet much, but feel free to do so. Any uh, cameos from the little one? No, no, sorry. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know where they are right now. (laughs) You just let them run free. (laughs) Free range. (laughs) I'm not on parenting duty right now. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Ryan, thanks for coming on the show. (laughs) Always a pleasure, Travis. 
And joining the show now to talk Saskatchewan Rough Riders is Saf Ahmad from the Piffles Podcast. Thanks for coming on the show, Saf. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Last year, the Riders, 6-12. They ended the season on seven consecutive losses. It kind of looked like it was going to be a promising year. And then things just took a turn for the worse. We'll probably... Put it right around the Ottawa game. We know the one <laughs> we're talking about. But if we're talking just not drama and just strictly things on the field, the offensive line was probably the biggest concern coming into 2023. Do you think that's been addressed? It's funny you mentioned that Ottawa game. You can look back to a specific play where that season turned around, but we'll we'll leave that in the past. That's uh, uh thank God. Um <laughs> You know, I, I have to say they have to have improved. I mean, the addition of Blake Godber at center, yeah, we lost Dan Clark, but I think Godber is, is an improvement at that position. And they don't have literal pylons playing at the tackle positions. It, that's really what it comes down to. Um, my my one concern right now is still that spot between Furland and Johnson. Um, and uh, as we're recording today, they're – there were practices with Blake out at right tackle, which put both mm. Johnson and Furland at the guard position. Furland I'm okay with, but we've seen over the last year, Johnson just Evan Johnson just doesn't have it. I don't know what it is. I do appreciate his fire coming out of last game after the uh, that hit on, uh, was it Patterson that got decked? I think it was Patterson that got the, the late hit. Yeah. yeah. In the preseason game. And, uh, you know, Johnson came to his defense and took the 15-minute or 15-yard penalty, which I'm in favor of. You know, you got to defend your quarterback. But beyond that, he's been invisible for over a year now. Um, so if he's on the starting lineup come game one, it's still a concern for me. But if they can find those tackles to to run out Godber, Blake, and uh, and Furlan as their interior, I'm not worried. Now, ending the season with seven losses in a row, we know how emotions fly high in Saskatchewan. <laughs> and it can be a roller coaster at times. And uh, as a Rough Rider fan, I'm familiar with uh, Rider math, always trying to find a way to squeak into the playoffs. Or uh, <laughs> We're all tied for first at this point in the <laughs> season. But it, it did seem like as the offseason went underway, and some changes started to happen. I know Cody Fajardo off to Montreal, Trevor Harris coming in. It does seem there's a bit of a more a positive feeling going into the season compared to the way last year ended. I, I have to agree. There there seems to be that hope again in Rider Nation. Now, it's not transmit or translating right now to ticket sales, which is a little bit concerning. But there seems to be some positivity about those that are following the team at least. And going back to the O-line, Trevor Harris might actually be the best improvement to our offensive line. He's a guy that knows the game, knows how to get rid of the ball, and most importantly, knows how to make his reads rather than just panicking and running. You know, I love Cody Fajardo. We we worked with him on a charity yeah. project. Great dude. But it was time for him to, to move on. I think for both sides, his time here was over. And bringing in Harris is just a great improvement for that offense. Well, and that being said, this is uh this is a big season for both Jeremy O'Day and Craig Dickinson. 
what do you think they need to do to stay in the job? Is it as simple as just getting into the playoffs again, or there need to be a little bit more success than that? I, I think a home playoff game is is the the minimum line, given given how last year went and the issues that we've had. <clears throat> excuse me, can can point to both the general manager not finding the right players and the head coach not instilling any kind of discipline in that locker room. You know, you can you can pinpoint a lot of issues from last season on those two guys, so they're one hundred percent in the hot seat. And if those don't improve, it doesn't matter how well we do. I think it, I think they're gone. Now, obviously, win a Grey Cup is gonna gonna make everybody feel better, and they're gonna stick around and probably sign four year four year extensions because winning cures everything. But outside of a home playoff game, I don't see them lasting through the season. And if we start off ugly, if the season doesn't come out the way we hope it does, I'm not sure Dickinson makes it to Labor Day. So, so that being said, I mean. All the reports you see out of training camp are just that, training camp. And I think even last year, Dickinson really had his team, you know, seeing eye to eye, getting along. They had a really good, uh, tight chemistry. Now, does that translate to discipline? Is that have to be the biggest focus of the team uh, on the field? Of course, you want to score more points than the other team. <laughs> some of the penalty yards that were put up last year were just off the charts, man. And some of those players that maybe had the discipline issues are now gone. So maybe that will help the roster. What do you think of that? Not naming any names, Duke Williams. <laughs> but um, no, it's absolutely correct. But then look, look to the first preseason game. We took four major penalties again. Now, in fairness, I did say two of those were yeah. penalties I absolutely support. You knock a quarterback the way they did, the BC did. I don't mind if all fifty or all fifteen, all twelve guys on the field come, you know, throwing hands at that point. But mm-hmm. it, it was a it was concerning. You know, we still took we only took seven penalties, but four majors. It's you know, we'll see how that goes. He's harped in the media over the last couple of weeks very particularly mentioning discipline as the the area that he needs to work on. And he needs to, to find himself in that locker room more and to, to instill that discipline. Because he, he made comments last season that the locker room wasn't where he belonged, that that was the player's room, mm. which is odd for me as a head coach to to stay out of the locker room. Like That's where you are the boss. You You control that room. And he didn't last year, so... Let's see what he does this year. I'm I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt, and you know it's still a preseason game. Penalties don't matter, but come week one, if we see a bunch of majors and 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 issues right out of the gate, that's a major concern to me. Where else do you think the team needed improvement? I uh, I remember starting 2022, the Riders looked like they had a championship level defense, and then as the season went on, it was just the D line was able to give up tons of rushing yards. Maybe they were just worn down, but what are you seeing on the defensive side of the ball coming into 2023? To me, the one issue on the defense um, is, is um, why can't I remember his name? My Lord, the linebacker that went to the XFL. This is terrible. Oh, Sankey. Thank you. 
It's too, it might, it's too early for you. It might be too early for me. The, the loss of Sankey is the one concern for me on that D-line. They, yeah, they improved yeah. uh, the D-line again. They, they made some improvements there, but Sankey was a big part of why they had some success in that linebacking core. He showed in Calgary why he was a number one linebacker. He came back here or came here and did the exact same thing. That's a big hole to fill. And I'm not sure that they have anybody that can fill his shoes but a linebacking core by committee with, you know, you look at you guys you still have Derek Moncrief. You still got Larry Dean. You've got Mike, uh, Micah tights coming back off injury. I think they've done enough. The defense doesn't really worry me outside mm-hmm. of who can fill Sankey's shoes, because you mentioned it. The biggest issue I think last year that they had was the offense did nothing. The defense was on the field. It seems like three quarters of the, of the game, of course they're gonna they're gonna give up yards. They're gonna give up points. There's there's no way around that when your offense is performing as poorly as they did in 2022. Now I look at the schedule. It's almost like <laughs> the Riders are starting in the playoffs. Like O'Day and Dickinson need to win, and they're starting against Edmonton, Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, Calgary. <laughs> I mean, the, to start this... Oh, and then BC. So they play the entire West Division within the first seven weeks of the season. If we're going to know what the team's going to be... Last year, it was East Heavy to start the year for the Riders, and they, they got some wins. This year, West heavy, like, is, is Dickinson going to be in the chair by Labor Day? <laughs> well, that that's just it. They can find themselves on the outside looking in six games into the year with a schedule like that. You know, Calgary is a perennial winner. We, we like to talk about them falling off year after year, but they never yeah. seem to. Edmonton has to be better. The, the odds they win a game at home for once is very high, you know. You can't lose three years in a row at home. Uh, can you? I mean, I hope so, but can you? And that's a big one. I mean, the guaranteed win night, the first game of the year at Commonwealth, that... Those, those never work. You might as well have just handed the Riders a victory. Guaranteed win nights are a terrible, terrible choice. Although I like what Edmonton did with it, where if you don't yeah, see a yeah. win, your ticket comes back next year. And if the stadium is big as theirs, they can get away with that. I think right. that's so cool. And I've I've grown up going to games at Commonwealth and the amount of losses <laughs> I've seen as a green and white fan on that turf. So I, I never go into Edmonton expecting nope. a win. So nope. for that to open the season, I, I feel like that also has been circled on Saskatchewan's calendar. You're going to guarantee the win against us? If they're not fired up for that, something's got to be wrong. Oh, absolutely. If you're in that locker room and you're not marking down that game as a a, a confidence booster, you're you're doing something wrong. You're probably in the wrong position, uh, profession at that point. Like how that's that's as easy yeah. a bulletin board material as you can put up. Yeah, I, I try to you know stay positive and not talk you know off the field ticket sales as much as maybe some other people do, <laughs> but. It sounds surprising, and I, I don't think people around the CFL or, or fans around the CFL really believe it, but maybe there is some attendance issues or ticket sales issues in Saskatchewan. Relatively speaking, still great, but I, I think Ryder fans maybe don't 
like being number two to Winnipeg as far as <laughs> attendance going. Maybe no. that is the biggest offense <laughs> in in all of Isn't this. Isn't it though? You, <laughs> is it? We can come in second to Edmonton. Yeah. That's fine. They've got a yeah. sixty thousand person. And for stadium. years, I that's what it was. That. Yep. But coming in second to Winnipeg in attendance is wrong. Yeah, we got to figure this out. Yeah. So. <laughs> but but don't you dare say anything about Kim Mitchell on Twitter, or or you will have your your notifications ruined for weeks. Hey, I love. I'm Kim just telling Mitchell. you right now. <laughs> hey, I'm a Kim Mitchell fan. I, I dude's a legend. But if you say anything negative about him being the the uh, the, the home opener concert, oh lord. <sighs> Uh, I made mistakes. Now, now, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess people uh, showed you what was up. Now, <laughs> maybe those are the people that are currently attending the games. So it's there to entertain them. But will it bring new people into the stadium? Is it just the fact that Mosaic Stadium, I, I think we've reached the point, we don't have to call it new Mosaic anymore. Maybe it's just not as shiny as it once was. We even saw Grey Cup attendance issues. I mean, in in the past, if if we go back to 95 or the 2003 Grey Cups, people in Regina would come out and support it because it was the league. It was a big event in the community. Yep. This time around, it's like, well, if the riders aren't in it, I'm not in it. And that's a bit of a change and a, a bit of, a, I think, a mindset shift in people of Saskatchewan. I can tell you exactly when that change happened. It, it was as soon as we won the Grey Cup in 07. We weren't the lovable losers, and we got a completely mm. different fan base at that point. We had people that suddenly, you know, you're you're the champions. And we went through a, a period of fairly decent success, especially for Saskatchewan. Yeah. You know, three Grey <laughs> Cup appearances in four years, two Grey Cups in six years. We don't we don't do that. That's not how Saskatchewan rolls on the field. And I think the fans that came in at that point, rather than the CFL fans of years past, were rider fans, which which is great. We yeah. needed that too. But it's not gonna sell it's not gonna sell great cup tickets, and it's certainly not gonna sell tickets when the team isn't performing. Because those fans that came in and not pointing at anybody in particular, just a ge- uh, general look. They're going to be fair weather fans. They came in on success. They're the the types that you know. They're Tom Brady fans, so they were Patriots fans. Suddenly, they're Buccaneers fans. Now they're looking for a new team. They may maybe they're Bills fans because they're good, right? You, you see that time and again in markets, and I think that's what happened to us in '07. And it just kind of carried on. And then you get the new stadium, and oh, there's something shiny and new and fun and exciting. And you know, this is Regina. We don't get. We don't get stadiums that look like that. It all, it doesn't right? look like it belongs. No, right? Like <laughs> that's the that's not what we do here. <laughs> but after what six, seven years, it's just part of the the city now. It's not you know they have to do something about the game day experience. They have to make people want to come to the game because seeing the new stadium isn't doing it anymore, and the team with the the lack of success last year especially in a great cup year that's going to that's going to rub those fair weather fans especially the wrong way those casual fans spent spent a lot of money coming out to you know games last year yeah to be disappointed they're not going to want to do that again unless they start to see success and we said it before winning cures everything right 
It's funny because uh, I think about the the old times, and we don't want to long for those days of you know twenty two years of missing the playoffs and having telethons to save the team. But this current generation of Rough Rider fan hadn't experienced that. Nope. It, it feels like the riders are going to be here forever and the league's going to be here forever. But we found out during COVID and we found out <laughs> in the past that, hey, this is something we got to, you know, support yep. if we want to see it stick around in our communities, right? Well, if you look from that that 22 years of no playoffs and or no success and all of a sudden, you know, from 07 to last year, how many times did we miss the playoffs? Yeah, it was it's, two, uh, three. Yeah, twenty eleven, and then uh, twenty fifteen. Yeah, so right, like that. That is again, that is not a level of of success that those of us who have been fans longer than the the O seven title have ever experienced. Mm-hmm. You know, like you, I grew up in the the eighties and nineties where you could lay across a, a bench at Mosaic or at Taylor Field and still have a, a good 10 feet to the next guy, right? Like bring your own cooler. Like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> hey, a lot that would better be than nice the beer now. prices they're charging now. Oh. $12 for a craft beer. Wow. $12. But Hey, they got $5 menu items now. Yeah. So you can, you can have some French fries. That almost gets you. Yeah. A four pack of tall boy crafts. So right. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, that's, I guess the world we live They're going to pay <laughs> off the shiny stadium somehow. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Especially if ticket sales aren't doing great. They got to yeah. find other avenues to bring that, uh, that money in. Cause you don't have that $11 uh, yeah. service fee. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The 2023 Saskatchewan Rough Riders. It's kind of a, <laughs> Mixed bag, a wait and see approach going into the season, but a big season uh, for those involved. And I mean, hey, Trevor Harris brings a positive energy with him. It looks like he's kind of ready to take on the task as the starting quarterback, but also the new offensive coordinator as well. So (laughs) there's still a lot of question marks, isn't there? Yeah, well, given last year, all we talked about all year long was, hey, the running game works. Let's try it for all four quarters instead of having yeah. success in one and first and second and never seeing the, the running backs again. Suddenly our running backs coaches are OC. Yeah. I like this. I would love to see that that combo run 50% of the plays. Like we, have a, we had a successful running game that we just avoided last year for no reason. And when you have a weak O-line, you need to run the ball to keep the defense honest. We didn't do that. We just let them pin their ears back and half-murder Cody Fajardo. So, <laughs> you know, you go into this year with, a, with, with him as the, as the OC, I love it. Oh, if, nice. Nice. if he sticks to, you know, his running game, if he actually uses the running game, which you would think a running backs coach would, would like his running backs, but hey – you know, the the one thing that concerns me is he is what our seventh pick for yeah. for OC, right? Like we went through the the we ran through the gauntlet of of potential offensive coordinators before settling on him. But yeah. you know what? This is one convenience hire I don't mind. I I think he's uh, he's well respected across the league. He he's put in his dues. Let's see what he's got. What's it's, the worst that happens? Because you're not going to get somebody with 
you know, I hate the term, but lame duck GM and, and head coach, right? You're not going to get somebody who is going to move up. Yeah, yeah. So this this gives him a chance to hitch his wagon to, you know, not necessarily a, a dying pair, but to a, you know, to an unknown. And if they if it works, they're all successful. If it doesn't work, we clear the we clear the roster next year and start fresh. That running game will be put to the test week one against Edmonton, Jake Ceresna and the rest of that <laughs> yeah. Edmonton front, Trevor Harris against his old team, Chris Jones against his old team, and a guaranteed <laughs> win for the Elks. That's going to be a fun way to start the season. The Piffles Podcast, where can we find you every week, Saf? Uh, you can find us at uh, on Spotify, Apple Music, all the good stuff at Piffles Podcast, or check us out at pifflespodcast.com. We're... Uh, Trying to keep things interesting online too with the articles as often as we can we can throw them out there. Awesome! Hey, thanks for coming on the show to talk riders going into 2023. Hey, it's my pleasure, Travis. Anytime. Joining the show now is Andrew from 3downnation.com, a recent addition there, and the Turf District. Thanks for coming on to talk Elks for a little bit, Andrew. Absolutely. I love talking to you guys. I'm glad we're back talking football again. Although, yeah. Travis, I do have a, a small bone to pick with you, and that Uh-oh. is that there's a preseason game. You're <laughs> at it, but you did not come down to West of Us. I mean, I got them to put the Popeyes right at West of Us. That's and you still why didn't I avoided it. I'm that like, is come why on. I avoided it's it. It's a double-edged sword. It's a double-edged sword. I can oh. only afford so many $14 chicken sandwiches, man. <laughs> just just I, don't get the fish. Here, 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 I thought I was worth it. Nope. I, I, I've learned my lesson. It's okay. I'll see Bye. you on Guaranteed Win Night. I oh, good. Yeah. Excellent. I appreciate that. Yeah, 2030. <laughs> Hey now, come on. 2022 <laughs> for the Edmonton Elks had them at four and 14, fifth in the West. Uh, but that is last year. This year, Taylor Cornelius goes in knowing that he is the man behind center. Have you seen a change in him at all in uh, this year's training camp, knowing that he's the guy? Yeah, watching a little bit more in practice and, of course, in the preseason game, I get, well, series? <laughs> like he really yeah. only played three series. He didn't play a whole lot. But yeah. um, definitely in practice, there is a calm about him. There is uh, a little bit more of a poise about him that we weren't seeing before where there was a little, I don't want to say panic, but it, it definitely fear. And uh, especially in that game against Winnipeg, he was under pressure a lot in those three series and there wasn't the, you know, like the panicked throw. There wasn't the, um, you know, I, I'm going to just fire it in and hope for the best. It was, it was good decision-making. Uh, there's only one time where I thought that he had the chance where he could have just run, but I think because it's a preseason game, I think he was told like, don't just throw the ball and hope, and hope it gets in there. Mm-hmm. So, um, I have seen some progression. Obviously, it'll be different when the bullets are live and it's a regular season game and and you know that it's not quite such an, a vanilla offense. But I, I have seen in practice, he definitely looks like he stepped 
forward. And some of the throws in practice have been in tight windows and they've been sneaking them in there. Uh, Dylan Mitchell and Eugene Lewis definitely help. <laughs> um, if you can get it within five yards, they'll find a way to catch it. And uh, that, that will help him as well. But I, I think he has got that leadership style. Uh, one other thing that we did see uh, in one time was uh, Dylan Mitchell went up for a pass, came down, got hurt somehow, not really sure what, um, but he was really frustrated about it. And he was, you know, kind of um, on his own. He was yelling. He was really upset. And then as he kind of came down, Taylor came over to him and that was that leadership role that we can now see him taking on and kind of put his arm around him and be like, Hey, this is what happened. And this is, this is what's going on here. And this, you've got to be professional. So how we work on this. And they, it, that's a different thing that we didn't see him do before. Um, so I, I think there's progression all the way around. I'm excited to see when it's uh, live. Out is uh, Kenny Lawler in is Gino Lewis. Uh, in is Kyron Moore. In is Maurice French. In is Stephen Dunbar. <laughs> and I mean, a full season of Dylan Mitchell you mentioned, and also Kevin Brown. I think there is some excitement ahead for the Elks offense. Well, there is this one thing that we have not always had. It's called hope. A different four-letter oh. word than I mean everybody has it at this <laughs> time of year. I thought you were going to say cover team. <laughs> okay, Ty, can you cut him off? Like, is it okay? Like, we could do that at this point, right? Like, again, here I thought we people were have tried. People <laughs> have tried. That's right. I'm sure there's a button on here where I can mute you. Um, but the um, the the fact of the matter is, is that it is it, yeah a completely different four-letter word than what we're used to, and in, in having some hope. Uh, I think not only Kevin Brown, but Shannon Brooks gives us that kind of one-two punch at a, at a running back, yeah. which we're thinking, wow, they they really make something out of nothing, which is amazing. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to see them. And then this receiving core is... Now, I, I never want to get too excited because I go back to... Uh, what 2021 and everyone was like oh the Elks receiving core is going to be out of this world they got Trevor Harris they got Greg Ellingson they got mm -hmm. Durrell Walker they got all that three wins so um this receiving core is exciting uh we have basically the MOP from the east now out here in the west and is that going to make that difference I, I do think having Dylan Mitchell and Eugene Lewis will draw a lot of attention and open up guys like Moore and Dunbar and Arsenault. Um, and don't rule out Gavin Cobb as the uh, Canadian that will be uh, playing in the receiving core. Uh, the kid's got speed and he's coming back from a big injury. So you're starting to see him progress as well. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for that ex receiving core. It should be very well done. The, the only thing that makes me nervous about the offense can the offensive line take the step forward? We've seen it in Cordy. We've seen it in um, TJK. Um, I, I, I've seen them take that step forward. Martez Ivy back at practice now. So at least that we know that that might help on the, on the, on the left side. Uh, I, I'm, I'm jury's still a bit out. I'm hoping that they will be able to improve enough to make this offense really click. It's funny, Stephen McAdoo hasn't really uh, struck me as a guy that has a super creative offense, really. Uh, but now, 
There's Trey now Ford. your quiet time. Come on. <laughs> Trey Ford has uh, the, ath- so much. the athletic ability that he showed in the final preseason game against Winnipeg. And then the quarter receiver back, I think that's what he called himself, Kai Loxley. Correct. Uh, how are they going to be able to utilize all these guys? It's <laughs> There's a lot of athletes there, and that I know that's what Jones loves. Yeah, and and I I don't think that they have to use all these guys. I think that's the thing is that it's Taylor's team. Uh, let him run with it. Now, does Trey have some things to offer? Absolutely, but it's not a bad thing for him to take another year to have the game slow down for him either. Because if you in that second quarter yeah, when he yeah. came in, he looked quite rattled in the preseason game. It was a lot of high speed, and and when they started the second half, he seemed to come back into what we had seen more in practice and that he was doing a little bit better. So I don't think it has to be that he needs to have a bunch of reps. Uh, what I do want to see is him being able to watch the game, do the full practices for the full year, because last year he missed a lot with that injury and the quarter receiver back. There's your third down guy. Right. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing with him being that is that at any point he could turn and throw or he could do the lean in or he could yeah. run. So there could be some imagination there. Um, again, Steve McAdoo, not really known for that, but I do think that they could use him in that. Uh, I think back to 2015 um, where we had uh, Jordan Lynch, I believe was his name. And uh, he was the third quarterback and athletic guy. He played on special teams, <laughs> like yeah. third quarterback playing on special teams. Weird. So, I think there's not spots where they have to put guys in, but there's spots where they can use them and see what happens. So Chris Jones, obviously not really regarded as an offensive mastermind when it comes to coaching. He is, he builds defenses. And that was obviously what you could see over the last season and a bit of him cutting guys, getting guys in that he wants. You have Toby Antigua, you have guys like Jake Serezna, Ed Ganey, who's maybe lost a step, but playmakers like Luchez Perifoy in that secondary. Is there a guy that you see kind of not, not as a, not becoming a leader, but becoming like a standout guy in this defense, or is it going to kind of be by, by committee? Uh, the guy to watch, is, there's two that I will mention. The first one is Niles Morgan, who is now back for an entire mm-hmm. season after being injured for a, a lot of last season. Uh, when he played last year, the run was almost negated for other teams, and yeah. he is going to have a monster year. And he's he's taking on that leadership role, not only on the defense, but off the field too. He's the first guy that's out with all the kids coming to get their signatures uh, at the end of the game. So I think he's really embraced taking on that role, and uh, I think he's going to be huge. The other one is Enoch McConzo. Uh, he made two gigantic plays in the first couple of series uh, in the preseason game, and then he sat the rest of the game because <laughs> it's preseason. But uh, in camp, he has had a number of interceptions. The team rallies around him. Um, he's taken a big step. So I think those are the two guys that I'd really keep an eye on. Uh, of course, we're all hoping for the return of Aaron Grimes in that secondary but um, again, he's still coming off that injury, so I don't know if we'll see him right up front. But but Morgan and McConzo, I, I keep my eyes on those ones. I feel like there are two goals for the Elks this year. It's probably have a return touchdown and win a game at home. Is that fair? 
those are lofty goals, <laughs> but I, I do. I like both. Um, I think the, the win at home, I think will happen quickly. I, the team is, I, I don't want to, you know, say for sure, this is when it's going to happen. I'm, I'm not that kind of a fan, (laughs) but, uh, they say guaranteed win, right? I say maybe win night. That'd be great. Um, but they have taken enough steps that I think the home win will come, um, much like any other team that Chris Jones has taken over by year two, you see that progression, you see the guys taking the Mm -hmm. next step and you see the gelling happen. And I think there will be more wins and they will include some home wins, which is exciting. Um, Now, as far as a return touchdown is concerned, I think it's probably better if we leave that goal till next year. Will we get I mean, to let's do Mars? Over the baby steps, baby steps, <laughs> baby steps. Will That's mankind right. make it to Mars, or will the Elks have a return <laughs> touchdown? Will, will I... Travis and I see fifty? <laughs> <laughs> okay, if you were going to say that I saw fifty, I'd be like, well, I mean, it's a close race. I'm a lot closer than you guys. So. <laughs> but I would, uh, yeah, I, you know what? I, it's. It's just an ongoing thing, and and you bring in the returners and guys that have speed. You look at uh, yeah. CJ Sims; he's mm-hmm. shown he's got a ton of speed. Uh, Gavin Cobb was a returner all the way back when he was playing in Victoria and with the Bisons. Um, we've got guys that have speed. I I just don't know how they can get to the blocking, and that's been the biggest issue. So until we know and they have the regular guys doing the blocking because in every preseason game, every blocking setup was different. There was Mm -hmm. a different guy in there. When you have the steady force, we'll see. I I am happy about guys like Michael Broderick, who I think will make a really big impact on special teams. He's got a motor that doesn't stop and he's a giant dude. Um, So I'm excited to see what, what he can do out there. Am I going to go so far as uh, saying that they get the return touchdown and Chris Agar has to cut his hair? Eh, I'm hopeful that he's bald by the end of the year at some point, but I'm not going to hold all my confidence in it. (laughs) Okay. I, uh, I haven't locked in my official picks yet, but uh, I just, I see the Elks contending for a home playoff game here. Uh, Oh my. It's just what I see. I know it's a big step forward from, from last year's four wins, and you need to win home games for that to happen. I uh, is, is it as simple? And I, I did ask Ryan from Go Stamps Go about the off the field stuff in Calgary. Is yep. it as simple as winning games at Commonwealth Stadium to get folks in Edmonton back in the stands in full force? It is not that simple. It is absolutely a, a portion of it. Um, mm-hmm. When you have a team that wins and you have a team that's exciting to watch, you want to be there more. So uh, obviously that that plays a role. Some of the things, though, that they did in this past game make me start to think that they're thinking about getting other things off the field that are going to help people in. They've almost doubled the size of the tailgate. And for a preseason oh, game, wow. it was busy. <laughs> I was I was actually really impressed with how many people were out at the tailgate. So that's a great step. I really loved, and I understand that their theme for the preseason game was you're new to football, but they had the football one-on-one videos where they were explaining the game to people who'd never been to the game before. When there was a penalty called, they while they were showing the replay, they on the bottom of the screen, they'd have the ref doing whatever the signal is and explaining what the penalty is. And 
little things like that will help people who are just coming to say, see, you know, be part of a theme or see a concert or do whatever, but I'm coming to the football game. It's a nice night. These little things would help you learn the game and then appreciate what the game is too. But again, like I said at the beginning, the big part of that is if, if it's a crappy team to watch, well then what, why would you want to spend your time? So I think this year they do make the step on the field. I'm not quite as confident as you, Travis. I, I think they will make the playoffs, but I, I don't think there'll be a home playoff. If they get a home playoff, I'm, I'll be ecstatic, but I, I'm not uh, I'm not of that camp as of yet. But I do think that this combination of doing, having the better play on the field and then starting to do these little things that will teach fans and help fans want to be part part of it more i think that will absolutely help i've always wanted to go to one of those football one-on-one classes and just be like the star pupil but this like act like i didn't know what i was doing when i walked through the door <laughs> wait a minute act like you don't know what you're doing hey hey hey, hey. that Whoa. was fair Come what are we on, on the golf course here yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> not if I'm playing you because I'm absolutely in the <laughs> way behind on that lesson. Yeah. yeah. On that note, Andrew, the turf district, thanks for coming on to talk Elks for 2023. You're releasing a weekly show and a weekly column. Let us know what you're doing this year. Absolutely. So yes, we've got the weekly show with the turf district and uh, you can join us on YouTube live, usually 830 on a Tuesday night. And uh, we get in a guest or we have the three of us and chat football and everything uh, Elks in the CFL. And then the podcast comes out in audio version, usually the next day. And uh, then every day or every week, every day, good Lord, I'm really making it hard on myself. Every week <laughs> no uh, after the game, I will, uh, I'll put my thoughts out on the previous game on three down nation uh so you can follow us there and uh follow us on all the stuff it's at the turf district or at free Delicious. hey thanks for coming by i'll see you at a popeyes at a commonwealth stadium near you soon all oh, right i like this you better come back you better come down man we miss you <laughs>
at Tim Hortons Field in November. That's my dream Grey Cup matchup. But the feeling in Calgary this year, you wrote a piece uh, this offseason about the decline in season ticket numbers in Calgary. I mean, what's the feeling among Stampeder fans heading into 2023? Uh, I think the Stampeders, I don't want to say that they're victims of their own success, but I think they're victims of their own success. Um, They've been good for 90% of three decades. Yeah. If you will. They had about three bad years. Otherwise, they were lights out. Um, they were lights out for the last, you know, uh, they were lights out for the last 30 years and they're always in the mix for a great cup. They're always in the mix for a playoff berth. Certainly the 17 years in a row, they've made the playoffs now, which is three times longer than any other team's streak currently in the CFL. Wow. Um, you know, I think the next best is Winnipeg at six. Uh, so when you think about the Calgary Stampeders, it's, yeah, they win. They they win. They make the playoffs. This is what we expect. Uh, when we had Jay McNeil, the, the vice president of the business operations on the podcast earlier this offseason, he said that the COVID pandemic really struck them pretty hard because mm-hmm. he said, on average, the Stampeders lose anywhere from 15 to 18% of their season ticket holders every single year. And then they have to go out and replace those 15 to 18% of season ticket holders. So he said, we dropped 18 to 20% between 2019, 2020 because of COVID, right? People, you know, did, or sorry, the season was canceled. So they couldn't sell tickets to replace the 20% of people that dropped off after the 2019 season. So that didn't happen. Then in the 2021 season, they didn't decide to have a season until about two or three weeks before it was supposed to happen. So that 20% of people that didn't renew after 2020, okay, well, now they're gone too. So you've lost 20% and then a further 20%. Well, now you're down 35% from the year before. And then now you're still dropping another 20% after that season before you can start to recoup. So they were at about 23,000 season ticket holders before COVID. But this three successive years of losing season ticket holders without having an opportunity to sell new ones um, or scrambling to try and build that back is what's really finding them in the, in the spot they're in. So uh, the number that Jay had at the time when he did our show was under 15,000 season ticket holders sold, but tickets sold for the first preseason game on the Monday of the May long weekend in Alberta was still 17,785. So I feel good about the idea of, you know, they got up to 17,000 tickets sold, which isn't bad considering their season ticket base was supposed to be under 15,000. So that means that you sold an additional 3,000 tickets for your, at least 3,000 additional tickets for your preseason game on the Monday of a long weekend when they didn't decide the game was even going to be played until two hours before yeah. kickoff, um, you know, and, uh, and yeah, so I think, I think it was an encouraging sign, but I do think it is um, troubled times here for the Stampeders from a ticket sales standpoint. 
12 and 6 in 2022, which is third in the West. Some years that's good enough for first. Uh, I did the math on the six losses. It was a point differential of 21. One of them was an overtime game. Another was a one-point loss to BC. There were three losses to Winnipeg, all one-score games. So (laughs) I think on the surface, it was a better year for the Stampeders than... I mean, there was the Nathan Rourke juggernaut that earned the home playoff game for the Lions uh, to get that semifinal. So it's not like last year was much of a uh, disappointment for the Stampeders. But this year, it's the first full year of Jake Mayer. Is, uh, is he a different guy in training camp knowing that it's his team going into 2023. I mean, we're recording this before the final preseason game, and after the first one, uh, Dickinson, uh, he didn't hold back. No. (laughs) When talking about his starting quarterback. No, Dave Dickinson wasn't uh, impressed with any of the starters, let alone alone Jake Mayer. I I think he said all of our starters were disappointing today. now, in the red and white game, Jake Mayer looked very, effic- very efficient, very effective. He moved the ball. Uh, he he took it down on scores. And I understand that the red and white game and actual preseason football are totally different. But mm-hmm. nevertheless, he was completing passes. He was completing throws. And putting it into perspective, I know everybody said, oh, well, Jake Mayer this and Jake Mayer that. When you look at Jake Mayer's stats from last season, his quarterback rating, and that's the only really – kind of stat that you can give um, when you're looking at a comparative season because he only took over halfway through the season. It was the third highest in the league. There was Nathan Rourke, number one, Zach Caleros, number two, Jake Mayer, number three. And as you mentioned, those three Winnipeg games were all by a score. One of them came on a bizarre interception where Kamar Jordan had the ball in his hands, landed, and it popped off his arm like one of those little uh, rubber – uh, pop him toys yeah. that have his kids, <laughs> and all of a sudden it would it turn into an interception instead of a touchdown. Um, even that, if if that happens, Calgary plays at home and not on the yeah. road in the playoffs last year. So I think there are moments where um, there's a lot of positives to accept for this team. Yes, they were third place in the West, but they did win two thirds of their game, two thirds of their games in a year where they replaced the starting quarterback for not being good enough. Like, let's let's also put that in perspective, that the bad year where the 10-time, the 10-season ten Hall of Famer, two-time breakup champ, two-time MOP, that guy was replaced for not being good enough, and the team still went 12-6. and six. At the, the amount of teams that would kill for Calgary's problems... <laughs> In this league, I think um, there's a list of eight that would kill for Calgary's problems, which is our quarterback isn't good enough this year. Oh, and by the way, we went 12 and six. When Saskatchewan's quarterback isn't good enough in a year, they go three and 15. That's the difference between what happens in Calgary and what happens in other markets. When the quarterback's not good enough in other markets, they don't make the playoffs. Calgary does. Um, now, was Jake great in the playoffs? No. And I think he'd be the first one to say so. But, you know, rookie kid, his second year in the CFL, first playoff game start. I mean, that just happens. Uh, I'm not overly concerned about it. And I expect him to 
be in the conversation among the best quarterbacks in the league this year because Calgary's system is designed for quarterback play like Jake Mayer can deliver. Now I I look at the rest of the offense and he's got he's in a pretty good position to succeed again. We got one more ride from uh, Derek Dennis, uh, who would have loved to have played in the playoffs last year. He had uh, was having a great year and then uh, broke his leg. And I remember I had him on the show back last October, and uh, he's like, ah, he he heals better. Like he's superhuman. And he's going to be out there again, and I, I expect him to be playing at that same level we've become accustomed to. So Sean McEwen and the rest of the offensive line are going to keep him protected. They've got three starting caliber running backs. And now, last year was Malik Henry's coming out party, I think. He's only 26 years old. <laughs> he's just getting started. Yeah. So... I know the departure of Kamar Jordan last year wasn't what we've become accustomed to with him, but still Reggie Bagleton and Jalen Philpott is going to miss the beginning of the season here. But some good pieces in place for Jake Mayer to succeed as the season gets underway. Yeah, I think uh, um, I'm not sure about the timetable on Jalen Philpott, but if you look at the draft from the Stampeders this year. I don't know whether or not we see him at all this mm. season. Um, you you know, they took Cole Tucker in the first round, and I think that was going to happen before Phil Pot got injured anyway. Um, but they drafted three receivers in this draft. Uh, and so to me, that doesn't bode well for uh, for Jalen Philpott's uh, health. Um, I'm not a doctor. I have no inside information, but... I don't know how much we see of Jalen Philpott this season, uh, just based purely on on the idea that the Stampeders drafted three receivers. However, I think you're right when you talk about this running team. I mean, they're they're you know the run game in Calgary is going to be what stirs the drink here. Uh, guys like Kadeem Carey and and Dedrick Mills and Peyton Logan, all three of them, as you mentioned, capable of starting. I think on most CFL teams, uh, I think Kadeem Carey is is the best player in the league. Right now, he's number one on my TSN top 50 ballot uh, that I'm filling out. Um, Kadeem Carey, number one with a bullet, because if I'm building a franchise right now in the CFL, the guy I want on my team first and foremost is Kadeem Carey, and I can fill out other guys around him. Uh, but I'm going to have Kadeem Carey at number one on my TSN top 50 ballot when I submit it. Um, but I do He's think almost it, underrated, isn't he? Like, I, I think that Zach's going to be number one. In Zach that will end up 50. being number one, but, and I mean, he's number two for me. I, I'm not right, going right. to, you know, Zach Caleros is number two on my ballot. Um, but I think I could do more with, I think I can do more with, um, you know, even a guy like Trevor Harris or Cody Fajardo or something with Kadeem Carey at running back than I can do with Zach Caleros and Johnny Augustine, for example. I think that the impact of carry at running back really brings elevates your offense to the point where you don't need to have an absolute stud at quarterback to be successful. Now, that said, um, I do, you know, Zach Caleros is a fantastic quarterback, and as long as he's protected, that'll be great. Um, if that offensive line does not live up to the height, you know, we've seen what happens when Zach Caleros is on roller skates. It's not great. Zach Caleros has benefited from having a great offensive line that is only getting older in Winnipeg. So 
that may be a stretch. But I think when you look at Calgary's offensive weapons, um, you know, I think you're right. Reggie Bagleton and, uh, um, and Malik Henry are going to be the featured receivers in this offense. Um, that third spot is totally up for grabs. Trey Odom's Dukes had uh, a couple nice catches in the red and white game um, last weekend. Um, Rice and John, they have been tight targeting him a ton uh, through uh, camp. Um, now he didn't make any catches in the red and white game, made no catches on three targets in the preseason game. So if he can't make catches in game action, he's not going to see the field, but the guy's six foot seven, two fifty something like, wow. you know, that's <laughs> like, he is, he is a massive, massive receiver. Yeah. And to me that just screams end zone, you know, you get into the yeah. red zone and you just float the ball up and let the tallest guy come down with it. And in a lot of cases, that's going to be rice and John. La, I think the biggest area of change without it goes without saying is the the defense. Uh, the most outstanding defensive player nominee, Sean Lemon, went to BC. He has since been released. Jameer Thurman uh, is now out east, and I think maybe the big the defensive back group last year they seem to have a different combination every week due to injuries. Hopefully they come into this year a little bit more healthy, but defense is going to be, I think, an area that people will be watching with the Stampeders, but Brent Monson always seems to be able to put his players in a position to succeed anyway. Yeah, it uh, last year last year's defense, um, especially in the backfield, was incredible. Like I went through at one point and I tracked um uh, the games, and I think through 17 games, because that's when I wrote it, the Stampeders had only had the same defensive backfield starting twice. <laughs> so through 17 games, they only put the same starters on the field twice because of injuries. Every other week, there were guys bouncing around from spot to spot, moving in and out of the lineup because of injury. They put up the same team twice. Um, and yet, we're still a good pass defense. Um, and I think that versatility and that game experience that those guys got can turn a good pass defense into a great pass defense because now you have a lot of guys that can step in and have had real game action, you know, typically because of the way the cap works in the CFL, your backup guys, especially in the defensive backfield, aren't players with a lot of experience. They aren't players with, you know, high value contracts. And so when you do have those injuries, it does become difficult to find uh, an experienced player to back that up. Uh, who's capable of playing at that level. So the defense only got better as the year went on last year, as guys got more game experience and as they went in. Jameer Thurman is fantastic, has been fantastic for a long time, uh, an absolute stud at the linebacker position. But let's let's go back a little bit. You had Jameer Thurman in that spot. Before him, you had Darnell Sankey in that spot, an absolute stud, couldn't be replaced. Then you had Corey Greenwood, who was – an absolute stud and he couldn't be replaced. And before that you had Alex Singleton who was an absolute stud and couldn't be replaced. Maybe just maybe it's how the defense works to funnel guys into that spot because I don't, I'm not saying that those guys aren't great players because they have been, but every time that spot gets replaced, 
the next at Winton McManus is even in that rotation as well. So every time that spot got replaced, it got replaced by, we don't know how good this guy's going to be. And then at the end, he's an underrated stud who should never be overlooked again. Maybe that's a byproduct of how the defense is coached. And maybe that's a byproduct of how the defense is shaped to steer guys into that direction. On the defensive line, you lose Forlair and Ormolade. Uh, he, he gets the big money contract out in Toronto. Sean Lemon, as you mentioned, although who knows where Sean Lemon will end up. Because, you know, uh, when when the CFL gives him lemons, he just keeps making lemonade. Hey, a veteran uh, guy like that, if wherever he, he signs, he'll get if, 10 sacks. If he gets to miss training camp and just play the season, I'm sure he'd be happy with that. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure he'd be fully capable of just stepping in. Yeah, so yeah. do I hope he somehow winds up in back in Calgary <laughs> after all the final cuts are done and they decide, hey, you know what? You can come in and be a rotational guy. That would be fantastic. I would be happy to have him back because he was a, he was phenomenal over the last two seasons here in Calgary. Um, but at the same time, you know, Julian Hauser and James Vodders are two solid guys with great CFL pedigree, and I expect them to, you know, do what they do. And again, Calgary led the league in sacks last year. As they have most years in this Huffnagel era, Calgary gets more sacks than anybody else. You know, it, they win the game on the on the line offensively and defensively. Um, and that's why Calgary has been so successful. Is there a new stampeder we need to be watching, uh, coming into the season here? I know it's always tough as, uh, cuts can be some of the most unpredictable things in the CFL. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I there... would have said RJ Giroux, but look at who he's behind. Um, yeah. RJ Giroux was, was really good in that, uh, that one preseason game, turning up 4,700 or 47 yards. He was the only running back to get a touchdown, but yeah. he's behind yeah. Kadeem Carey, Diedrich Mills and Peyton Logan. And so that's a tough spot for him to be in. Interestingly though, he may end up making the team as a special teamer because mm-hmm. in college, his last year of college, he went down to the States and played a year at safety and ended up with interceptions and fumbles and a bunch of tackles. So it could be that a guy with that kind of versatility who can run the ball but can also be a guy that can make tackles for you on specials, um, that might be a guy who sticks around. Uh, so he's an interesting roster spot for me. Um, you know, I don't think there's a lot of room for new starters in this defense or in this offense, but uh, if you're looking for a, a camp name that, that might stick around, I think R.J. Giroux is the is the guy that I'm looking at first. Ryan Valentine, the Go Stamps Go podcast and 3 downnationcom Do you have anything uh, cooking in the pot, the slow cooker, or maybe even the air fryer you can tell us about? Oh, uh, I, I mean, metaphorically or physically? Uh, I'm good with either. <laughs> I'm hungry, because, man. <laughs> uh, a recent convert, uh, you know, the, the air fryer, uh, pierogies go great in an air fryer. Man, uh, I, uh, I was resistant to the air fryer. Yeah. But it's just so darn convenient. To yes. me, it's just the it's a countertop convection oven. It's not yes. a fryer, but it can still make things happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it uh, it does pretty well. So uh, uh, for tonight, though, it's uh, steaks, baked potatoes, and, and asparagus. I got the new barbecue, so I'm firing it up, and uh, I'm ready to go. So I'm stepping away from those. And getting into those, uh, metaphorically, uh, we have a ton of guests that are ready to go this year. Um, Jake Mayer recently confirmed that he wants to do the podcast, uh, which is uh, great because we've had Bo Levi Mitchell on the show three times, and two of those three times, 
He went on to win the Great Cup in that season. So really pushing for Jake Mayer to come in and get a little <laughs> bit of that go stamps go bump uh, that uh, that we want to give him. And uh, and you know, I, I you said your dream matchup is Hamilton versus Calgary in the Great Cup, and I think you're half right. Uh, I think that would be fantastic. <laughs> um, I have I want no. I want nothing to do with Bo Levi Mitchell in a great cup game against Calgary. Um, that is absolutely not something that I want to see as a Calgary fan. Uh, if Calgary doesn't make it to the great cup, I'm all in on the Ticats. Get in, you know, win the most recent cup, get rid of this great cup drought, all of that. I'm a hundred percent behind it. I think Bob Young deserves it as an owner and everything. And I'd love to see Bo get another ring and get another MVP. That's all if Calgary is eliminated before he gets there. Otherwise, <laughs> I want nothing to do with him and, like, go Red Blacks or something. I, uh, Red Blacks, uh, Alouettes, um, not the Argos because the Argos can't lose great cups and not the Ticats yeah. because I think that's destiny. So those are the two teams I can't see if Calgary gets into that great cup game. Oh, Ryan, hey, thanks for coming on the show to talk Stampeders going into 2023. Pleasure as always, man. Hope to be back again next season to talk about the preview and any time in between. And joining the show is the manager and of communications and content with the BC Lions, Matt Baker, to talk Lions football for 2023. Thanks for coming on the show again. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Uh, yeah, Merry Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what oh, it sorry. is. Happy, happy holidays. Gotta there be we go. Yeah. But you know what I mean. I remember this time last year having you on the show, and the theme was cautious optimism. And, well, it ended up being a 12-6 and season, a home playoff game for the BC Lions and Nathan Rourke setting the league on fire. Of course, he is now gone, but here we are, and the Lions still have a pretty favorable quarterback situation going into 2023 with Dane Evans and Verdon Adams Jr., it seems like, still losing maybe the most explosive player in the CFL, they still have this energy and fire going into the season with those two guys behind center. Yeah, I guess, uh, Travis uh, Tyrell, to start off, I mean, when we did this last year, we had no idea what was coming. I mean, yeah, we were cautiously optimistic. We were excited. And and we were seeing firsthand how um, Nathan was taking command of the offense right through camp. And that's a guy that uh, eats, sleeps, and breathes football, but never, I mean, if not for the injury, he he was basically set to shatter all of the the records set by Doug Flutie here in 1991. Yeah. But but you're right. I mean, um, this team, uh, you know, great learning experience, great step for this franchise last year. And uh, Vernon Adams Jr. Um, has really kind of put his stamp on this thing. Like he's he, you've probably seen the the Arrow Up yeah. first and now podcast we do so. He had a bunch of the skilled players down uh, in Tacoma, Washington before camp. Uh, so a lot of these guys were kind of on the same page already, and that kind of really set the tone for this thing. And, you know, you, you do the math. I mean, he's had an offseason now. Jordan Maximic, the offensive coordinator, they've been able to sort of tailor the playbook to Vernon's abilities because Vernon came in halfway through last year, and and that was a – that was a Nathan Rourke style offense. I mean, uh, he was able to pick things up and, and helped us win a big couple of big games to secure second place. But I'd say um, 
I'd say you go position by position talking to our, our GM and, and our scouts. They're excited with some of these youngsters they brought in. But, yeah, overall, uh, I would I would have to say last year kind of set the tone for this. I mean, you know, internally there's a lot of optimism. Three 1,000-yard receivers coming back. A couple of veterans on defense, a Jonathan Kongbo signing a couple of weeks ago. That kind of came out of nowhere. So um, they're deep at a lot of positions, and and I think that will bold well in what will be a tough West Division. Again, it's it's going to be a dogfight. But, yeah, like I said, a year better, and uh, now they know how to win, and they'll just have to translate that. Now, if we go to 2021, uh, that was Michael Riley, of course, and uh, Nathan mm-hmm. Rourke was practicing with the team. So that maybe got him a leg up going into 2022. Yeah. Now, last year with Vernon Adams joining the team, he's practicing. He's getting uh, used to BC Lions football. So then it's almost like a seamless transition going into this year. He's not a brand new guy. He was a part of the group last year, and now maybe some tweaks to the offense. It seems like they're able to just pick up right where they left off last year with him knowing that it's his team going into the year. And the leadership, it's hard. not. I don't know how you can't like Vernon Adams Jr. The way that he... Uh, connects with his teammates, and you, you said bringing him down to Tacoma, Washington. It seems like it's almost similar to the situation previously where he's embedded with the team halfway through the year before, and he can come and take over right where he left off this year. Yeah, and, and that's that's what struck me last year. It's, it's not easy to come in halfway through into a locker room that um, was used to one guy and used to used to everything that was going on. This is a guy, VA, that came in and he he commanded respect right away. And it was a two-way street. Uh, one moment I've, I've talked about a few times. Um, team was in Toronto, uh, came down to a Sean White field goal attempt late to force overtime. He missed it. It was, I think it was one of two misses he had all year. So Sean White's coming off a little injected. The first guy that comes to console him, he like runs from the other side of the bench is Vernon Adams Jr. And at that point, Vernon had been here maybe three weeks, maybe his second or third game starting. So that that's all you need to know about the, the person. You know, there's VA the person and VA the player. And uh, like we said, now, now it is his team. He is penciled in as number one. Uh, there is some pretty good depth with Dane Evans and, and Dom Davis, two veterans. And in Dane's case, a couple years where he helped Hamilton get to within a, a game of hoisting the Grey Cup. It's not a bad position to be in. And you can argue the quarterback position, yeah, is deeper than it was last year. Yeah. Due respect to Michael O'Connor and and um yeah, there was kind of a revolving door at the third string coming out of camp. But we're we're realistic here too. No one's expecting Vernon Adams Jr. to put up the numbers that Nathan worked in. But he's not gonna have to either because again, three receivers went over a thousand yards or there's a couple guys uh, battling for spots here. Give me some names. Uh, Brazen Daughtry, Aiden Eberhardt. Uh, Eberhardt had uh, a solid preseason game in Saskatchewan. Uh, Giovanni Robinson, uh, the global draft pick. Another one. How many of these guys stick around remains to be yeah. seen. A lot will depend on what happens against Calgary here on Thursday. But, um, you know, realistically, you can't expect anyone to, to duplicate that performance of, of Nathan Rourke. But, 
Um, like I said, there's enough balance on offense, and the offensive line has improved. Uh, Michael Couture on the left side looking pretty, pretty good as well, despite losing a, a starting tackle in Joel Figueroa. So I think there's reason for optimism here. Hey, James Butler was a 1,000-yard rusher last year. It yep. kind of looks like a wide-open situation in training camp as to who's going to carry the rock in 2023. Yep, so it's down to two. Uh, and I guess you can argue they'll both be around. It's yeah. just a matter of who's going to emerge on the active roster uh, next week, uh, opening in Calgary. Uh, Antonio Williams and Taquan Mazel, uh, two Americans, both with NFL experience. Um, you know, I, I think uh, our head coach Rick Campbell has has compared both of them to James Butler. And here's what's intriguing for me: James Butler, um, two years ago, was just that guy on a depth chart coming into camp. Yeah, and I and I remember people saying, uh, "What are you What are you doing in running backs?" Not easy to replace a 1,000-yard rusher. We get that. But at the same time, um, you know, that's the salary cap world. And uh, James Butler, given uh, the year he had, a contract year, he, he was due for a big pay raise. And, you know, you have to have to prioritize a couple of certain areas, uh, offensive and defensive line always. Uh, you try to give more there if you can. At least many of the coaches and management types I've been around go with that philosophy. Uh, so, unfortunately, Fortunately, um, the casualty was losing a very good player and a very good person in James Butler. It's kind of unfortunate, too, because uh, James was kind of starting to establish himself as yeah. as a good guy, good personality, involved in a lot of the team's community programs, uh, never turned down an interview request, request, really becoming a new face. You know, team and league, it's always a battle, right? You need those new faces. Yeah. And, um, after a couple years, he, he moves on, but that's – that's a business, right? And um, never will uh, begrudge a guy for, for going out and getting what he can on the open markets. And um, maybe it's a good thing he's in the East Division. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only have to, to deal with him uh, a couple of times, uh, barring uh, a meeting in, in late November. But And that's that's the intrigue, right? I mean, it's, it's always intriguing to see how a, a guy will adapt and fit in in another system with another staff. But um, I'm really excited to see uh, one of these two guys yeah. emerge and truthfully they didn't they didn't do much in uh in the preseason game uh, wasn't a lot going on the ground for whatever reason um saskatchewan playing a few more starters on the defense was maybe had something to do with it so i look for that as a big storyline here on the final exhibition tilt you, you mentioned three 1000 yard receivers returning uh yeah. a big loss in that receiving core though was brian burnham this year maybe you know wasn't exactly the guy that we were used to you know for however like the last five six seven years but the leadership role that he's going to leave behind who, who's stepping into that or who do you see kind of taking the reins in that aspect yeah it's a great question i i think that's i think that's a role suited for any one of those guys i mean keon hatcher lucky whitehead dominique mm-hmm. rhymes these guys are now in rhymes's case four or five six years yeah established here since 2021 again major major uh face out in the community off the field so uh, you're right uh not many commanded a locker room presence much like brian burnham he was one of the more impactful veterans i think i'd i'd ever been around i mean working for this team but covered this team uh as a, as a radio reporter for several years and 
those are few and far between. Um, but yeah, I think any one of those guys uh, is capable of stepping in Javon Katoya, another one, 2019, that's a guy walked on territorial roster player from the Langley Rams. And he's, he's become a starter in this league. He's a bit more of a quiet lead by example type, but, um, it doesn't have to be just one of those guys. I think you can share the pie in so many ways and, and again, having a starting quarterback that's been in this league six, seven years now only adds more benefit to that. But yeah, Brian will, will sure be missed. He'll he'll go down on uh, he'll go down as one of the greatest lions ever. Really, it's there's no other way of putting it. Uh, but the offense and and the leadership room should hopefully be in good hands. And shifting to the other side of the ball now on the defense, the defensive line with the signing, especially with the signing of Congo, was massive. Uh, you have Matthew Betts. You have David Menard there. Early on in the offseason, though, you guys signed Sean Lemon, mm-hmm. and now and now just lately released him. Can you can you kind of touch on that? Are we allowed to get any info on that? Is it a ratio oh, no, thing? <laughs> is it a ratio well, thing? Is there I a mean, game plan with that? Is there? A I don't. I don't like to automatically blame the ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's maybe like. If, if in the case of Jonathan Kongbo, if that's a guy who can also play special teams, maybe. But I think, um, and hey, Sean's outstanding. Uh, dealt with him now three different stints <laughs> with the team. If he dealt yeah. his latest one. Yeah. And it, it's kind of funny because we were. I was even joking with him a few days before uh, the news came down that, you know, it's your third time as a Lion, but it's your first time in Kamloops. How do you like it? And he, wow. he, was, he could not have been more happy with uh, the scenery, the facilities, but. Um, Sean's Sean, he's an excellent one in my books, but I think this just speaks to the amount of quality depth that has been brought in. Mm. Um, you know, the challenge is to always get younger. Um, so yeah, but Jonathan and the Kongbo signing, I think kind of would have been the turning point, the final straw when trying to trim down that roster, but there was 17 defensive linemen. Still, Whoa. after the first round of cuts, there was still no no D lineman got cut in the first wave. Okay, Sean came a week later, um, and yeah, these are just names to you right now. But uh, some of the younger Americans, a guy like uh, Alex Changham has stuck around. He's going to try and earn a spot here. Guys that were signed uh, from free agent camps in the negotiation list. I think it's a tribute to the scouting staff and the way some of these younger newcomers have picked up the intricacies of the CFL game in, in just a training camp. So, uh, yeah, it's tough. Again, <laughs> the business aspect of it, right? And um, and who knows, uh, maybe a team uh, down the, the road that has injuries or or is dealing with some uh, shortcomings at the position, uh, there's, a, there's a veteran out there. But um, I have nothing – but good things to say about Sean, the player and the person. It's just the silver lining is, um, you know, we know there's been some good players brought in and that's a good problem to have. I, I see a lot of Canadian talent on the defense, the linebacking core, the defensive line. It seems like a an area of real strength for the Lions. Are, are we going to see some new faces uh, on the defense being able to make an impact right off the bat here as the season gets underway? Well, not necessarily a new a new face, but uh, the Jordan Williams trade means yeah. Ben Haladic. Ben Haladic is your your starter at middle linebacker. A Bola Combo next to him at will. We all know Bo is what he's capable of, and 
Hey, you mentioned the Canadian, the Canadian depth is so improved that it made the Jordan Williams trade them comfortable doing it. Right. Same with trading a first round pick for Vernon Adams jr. Last year, that was a big discussion. Like the discussion was, yeah, needed a quarterback, but feel comfortable enough parting with a first round pick. And then you're able to recoup one back by, by trading Jordan. So uh, the linebacker has been a big storyline uh, back to the defensive line. Francis Bemi, uh, first round pick this year. He, he's a guy that looks the part. He's he's going to have a spot whether he starts. Who knows? And then in the secondary uh, second rounder, uh, Sirman Harrison Bagiogo out of Guelph uh, looked good in spots. And again, special teams. You can never have too many of these guys that play no. special teams and. They never have too many Canadian O linemen. We know that yeah. guys who are, <laughs> guys who can step in and play special teams because special teams. Let, let's not sugarcoat it. Bit of an Achilles heel last year. Yeah. So I think that's a big reason they went six of seven picks on defense because a lot of those guys can learn and and fit in on teams. But yeah, slowly but surely the the Canadian content has definitely improved, and 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 that's a good that's a good thing as well. Has specials been a bit of a focus at camp here? Uh, Don Yanowski had to leave the team. They bring in mm-hmm. Mike Benavides, who, uh, hey, he knows his way around the VC Lions organization. Uh, hey, Sean White, if you want to talk special teams, one of the best kickers in the yeah. league. But uh, the cover teams in the return game, uh, lacking a little bit in 2022. Has that been a focus in training camp? Yeah, and it's funny. I I was talking to to Don uh, before he left uh, about this very issue, and he he just flat out said, "Yeah, we, we've got some better athletes in here mm. now." Uh, you know, won't mention names, but a uh, couple guys who were replaced. That's just the nature of it, right? Uh, and and having Mike sort of seeming seamless, he'll slide in here. Uh, he was the club special teams coordinator for a time before he was the head coach, and. Um, you know, that's an area that was always well-disciplined and, and well-performing uh, when Benny was at the helm. So, yeah, it's unfortunate, uh, and, and we wish Don Yanowski, Yano, we call him all the best as, uh, as he as he takes care of what's going on. Uh, but Mike Benavides happened to be a free agent, not a bad yeah. not a bad replacement at all. But I, I would expect and hope uh, an improvement in that area. Shifting to the off-field stuff with Doman and the new ownership, mm-hmm. like the marketing around Vancouver and just in the province of BC and, and the grassroots stuff, can you kind of touch on like what their plan is and, and how they want to keep moving this forward? Yeah, it's just um, been a work in progress, but I think I think the early returns uh, have provided some positive reviews. Uh, you can't be out in the community too much, right? So much more of a presence, flag football, got to get the grassroots involved. And Amar is actually coaching his young son's yeah. flag football team. Oh, nice. uh, Farhan, uh, TSM.ca, yeah. give him a plug. Farhan went out and did a bit of a feature. And, and you watch that feature, you just realize how all in he is. Because I don't know about you guys, like I, I started following this team because my grandparents had season tickets and yeah. we had players come to visit me in elementary school at my school that's so it's just um it is the province's team but i think having a bigger presence in vancouver so summertime we have a new trailer merch trailer goes out uh kits beach wherever wherever young people are hanging out just having a presence just having the lions 
crest here seen where these young people are. Uh, school visits, uh, we, we've got some great programs. It, it's a shout out to our community relations team led by Jamie Terrace. So we've we've launched an Indigenous youth program, uh, part of our uh, contributions to the Orange Shirt Society, getting some youth, Indigenous youth involved in football, flag football. Um, it, it's really about the grassroots and uh, marketing wise. Yeah, you just and I, I've heard from people who come visit from other cities say, yeah, like I've never seen this many lions mm. logos in downtown mm. Vancouver before. Right. So and that's kind of the biggest challenge. The demographics around BC Place have changed considerably. People living there, people with enough money to live there. They're not necessarily people who grew up with the Canadian Football League. I mean, it's a multicultural city. It's one of the great things about Vancouver. So, but um, yeah, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, but uh, Mr. Dolman has has really backed up what he said he was going to do. And uh, you see more and more Lions merchandise out there being worn by kids. And that's the key to it. So, mm-hmm. and if you're a kid, uh, what what more would you want than and a BC Lion, a professional coming out to your football practice. And again, it's a tribute to everyone involved uh, in the community relations side. Now, last year <laughs> when I had you on, I think the day after it was announced that One Republic would be playing oh, yeah. the home opener, there were 30,000 people in the stands. Are there big plans for some games happening in 2023 in Vancouver? Well, um, by the time this airs, I don't know when this airs, but um, I encourage you to keep checking our, our website and social channels. There is an announcement coming. I can't get into again. it beyond that. <laughs> ah, again, yes. <laughs> I, I, it's good news, though. <laughs> Might as well be consistent, right? Yeah. Um, it's got to be Kim Mitchell. It has to be Kim Mitchell. <laughs> Writers got for it. another team already. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. I, I just... Um, June 17th is going to be a big night. Uh, cool. What we can tell you, what we have announced, we'll have Backyard Street Party on Robson uh, two days this time. So a day before the game. Oh, wow. That'll start. There'll be uh, some music out there, and there will be, um, I believe there's plans to have a viewing party. Saskatchewan and Winnipeg are playing on the Friday night, I think. So there'll be a viewing party with a screen out there on the plaza. And then the second day, the that portion of the party, we announced that the Trues are going to be performing. So, great live band. Great uh, live band. That's cool. And then stay tuned for the main event. That's uh, That should get some people talking. That's not That's not the main event? <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. really? Like I said, you. I, I told you, uh, Amar, yeah. he's he's backed it up so far. So. All um, of these. But uh... there is, um, there is, I think you guys, if you're rider guys, uh, when Saskatchewan comes here in the summer, we're going to have a tailgate for both fan bases. Oh, wow. <laughs> There'll be a rider fan tailgate and then the regular Lions tailgate. Watermelon smash, we're calling it. <laughs> so, um, and It's a then, great visual. <laughs> and here, um, I'll let you in on this one, too. It, it was announced as part of our game themes, but I always get a little bit of FOMO around Labor Day because the Lions, you know, outside of maybe yeah. playing Montreal on the Saturday, mm-hmm. which we're doing this year, there's no traditional rival. So I think what we're trying to do is have kind of make up for that on Thanksgiving. We'll see if this catches on. So Winnipeg will be in town the Friday night of Thanksgiving or the Saturday. I think it's the Friday. Um, I, mean, I, I, I usually get to about week 
two, three, then I memorize the rest of the yeah. <laughs> So forgive me. But anyway, Thanksgiving weekend, uh, we're calling it the gravy bowl. So there's going to be like turkey and poutine out at the tailgate. And um, nice. we're look, I'd like, uh, we're just kind of talking internally about how cool it would be to have a regular Thanksgiving weekend home game, mm-hmm. even if it's not on the Monday. Yeah. So uh, that's one I'm excited for too. There needs to be a trophy, a gravy boat. I'm. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like they do in the NFL, though. The winner yeah. eats turkey at midfield, yeah. right? Yeah. right? Just, I say we do that. Yeah. I, I think that would be cool, Matt. Thanks for coming on to show to, the show to chat Leo's football going into 2023, and uh, have a great season again. And we'll talk to you soon. My pleasure, boys. Anytime. Thank you to Matt, Andrew, Ryan, Ryan, and Steven for coming on the show to preview the West Division. Ty, week one is upon us. We have BC in Calgary, Hamilton in Winnipeg, Ottawa in Montreal, and Saskatchewan in Edmonton. Quickly, lock in your picks. Calgary. Hamilton, Ottawa, Edmonton. Hamilton winning in Winnipeg, I think, is a big one. Yeah, that's Bo. Bo is going to be a man on a mission this year until it hits Great Cup Sunday. I'm just going to go uh, sweep it. Uh, the home, home teams. teams. Yeah, that sounds about right. Calgary, Winnipeg, Montreal, and Edmonton. Uh, I should mention we'll be taking part in CFL fantasy. We will have our lineups uh, recapped uh, after week one. There are uh, a couple leagues taking part. There's the Podcasters League, and there's also a league organized to support CFL fans fight cancer. So we'll be taking part in that league, or at least uh, I will. And uh, it. I just hope that my fantasy season is miles better than last year. Cause can't be any worse. <laughs> that's true. It can't be worse than my putting was this morning. <laughs> I just had a brutal year. Now, those are the week one predictions. Let's lock in our predictions for the standings as the season moves on and gets underway here. So, you want me to start? Yeah, because I, I did I did week one first, so you can do the you can do these first. Okay, I don't have win totals or anything like that. Just the standings: Winnipeg in first, Edmonton in second, Calgary in third, BC fourth, Saskatchewan last. The East: Hamilton, Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, my MOP is Bo Levi Mitchell, the man on a mission. What's your great cup? Hamilton over Calgary. <laughs> Just because I want to see it. Yeah. They, so, it, it feels like they're a team of destiny. but Yeah, so, so are the Bruins. I was going to say, it's also Hamilton. It yeah. could go they south. Don't, they don't get nice things. <laughs> Lock yours in, man. Calgary. Winnipeg, Edmonton, BC, Saskatchewan. Calgary, first in the West. Yeah. Hamilton, Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal. Bo is your MOP. Calgary over Hamilton, Grey Cup. 
Whoa! <laughs> I'm hoping for that Dream Grey Cup matchup at the Donut Box in November. You can rate, review, and subscribe to To It Out on your favorite podcatcher. Throw us a couple bucks on uh, Patreon. Take Another a drink. <laughs> like, comment on YouTube as well. We'll talk to you next week to recap week one of the 2023 CFL season. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter. 